Welcome to the Inspired by Adventure podcast, bringing you the adventure across the airwaves. Here's your host, Cole Watkins. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Inspired by Adventure. My name is Cole Watkins, and I'm coming to you from our podcast studio in Augusta, Georgia. Today, my guest is Richard Weiss. Richard is an American explorer and author, current president of the Explorers Club, and host and executive producer of the Emmy award-winning television series, Born to Explore. How are you doing today, Richard? Yeah. Hey, Cole. Good to, good to see you as well. Yeah. It's always fun getting to talk, talk with you. You uh, definitely have one of the most interesting uh, stories of, of people I, I've had the opportunity to meet. So we're really excited to have you, got, you on today. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. So we just want to hear the Richard Wee story. We want to hear a little bit about your TV show and about the Explorers Club but um, uh, and your experience with Aggressor. And uh, we'll probably make this call about 30 minutes. And if you guys are wanting to watch the video version of this, you can find this uh, on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it's not just an audio recording. Uh, but yeah, Richard, why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into exploring as a young child. Sure. Um, I grew up uh, on Long Island, and uh, subsequently I had a Long Island accent, which I hopefully I'm beginning to lose, but you're in Georgia. It probably sounds like a Long Island accent to you. And I was a lucky guy. Um, I grew up in a fairly rural area on the water, and I had two great role models in my life. One was my father, same name, Richard Weiss, who was the first person to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. And um, my fondest memories uh, of my father, who's still alive, is that we would stand out on our lawn and he would point out celestial uh, navigation points because in the airlines, when he started flying, he learned by celestial navigation. And I know a lot of people talk with their fathers about uh, sports, but I used to talk to my father about weather. In fact, when I call him later uh, after this podcast, we'll probably talk about the weather and the other big influence on my life was uh, Dr. Richard Lanza. This is my mother's brother. And um, he's the head of MIT's nuclear engineering department. Really smart guy, obviously. And he always had time for me. He always had time to talk with me as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, whatever that age was. He was a really great communicator. His parents, my grandparents, were immigrants from Italy. My grandfather was from Corleone, Sicily. And so he was used to speaking to people who were smart, but not necessarily educated in uh, schools. So I had these two great role models. Uh, because of my father's profession in the airlines, I got to travel a lot. And when I was 11 years old, uh, my father took me to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And that was sort of a seminal point in my life because uh, it just made me dream and think big. And so um, I always was very curious about things. As I mentioned, I grew up on the water. So I used to take my German Shepherd and we just go down to the Stony Brook Harbor where I grew up and, you know, I'd go clamming and oystering. And even as a, a relatively young kid, I used to go um, skin diving for uh, lobsters. I'd have a, a kitchen rubber glove on one hand and a flashlight I'd put in a, uh, a bag and I'd go at night and I'd just stick my face underneath these rocks and, and pull out lobsters. Uh, later on, I was very lucky that uh, one of my older sisters brought home a guy who was the town conservation officer. His name is Steve Bressler. And Steve was, um, you know, encouraging me to learn how to scuba dive 
And so I got my uh, scuba certification probably when I was 15 or 16. And he invited me to help him create the first artificial reef in the Long Island Sound. And it was great. Um, I was just eager to have an adventure. And I guess it, for him, it was great having a guy who was enthusiastic to be, uh, uh, be there with me. And so, you know, I, I just had the best role models. And then, you know, I furthered my education at Brown University in geology and biology. And at every opportunity, when I got a chance to go on um, any kind of explorations, uh, I would go on one. And, and I recall hearing um, one of my heroes, Dr. Sylvia Earle, who's a famous oceanographer, uh, she said that people would always come to her and say, how can I be like you, Sylvia? And she said, if you hang around the action long enough, you become part of the action. And so at a, a, at a relatively young age, I would volunteer to do anything out on a boat, on a mountain, anywhere. I just wanted to be part of the action. And one thing led to another and I started going on bigger expeditions. Uh, at one point in my late 20s, I was asked to join the Explorers Club, which blew my doors off because the Explorers Club was famous for having the greatest explorers of the 20th century at that time. Its members uh, were the first to the North Pole, South Pole, first on Everest, first on the moon, first to the Marianas Trench. And uh, for me, it represented sort of uh, like Harry Potter's Hogwarts. It was uh, this magical place where you'd hear people talking about walking in space and on the moon and you know all, all sorts of things. So that's that's really how I got to start in exploration. I, I tell me about hiking uh, Kilimanjaro as an eleven-year-old. What was that like, and how long were you guys out there? Well, I don't I don't know what my father was thinking because I have two ten-year-old boys now, and I know my kids. You know, if they go fifteen minutes without a snack or an electronic device, go into meltdown. So there, there was a little bit of naivete on our part. My father had read about it, and he had flown over Kilimanjaro as a pilot. And so we were really ill-prepared for this uh, seven-day climb in that uh, I remember having cotton T-shirts and, and clothing that just wasn't good enough, uh, you know, by today's standard. We had these metal canteens. And one of the things you learn about um, climbing and expeditions in mountains is that how important water is. But, you know, I just... Um, I just didn't seem to mind the pain. I didn't mind uh, the adverse conditions. It seemed all normal to me. And um, I think I was really low maintenance from that perspective as a kid. But uh, sort of now looking at kids today, I, I don't necessarily recommend taking somebody that young up such a big mountain. Sure. <laughs> it's changed a little bit since, since back then, huh? <laughs> I just think, you know, Cole, when I was a kid, I don't care what the day was like. You went outside and played. And if your parents kept you inside, it was punishment. Right. And so right. for me, if it rained, I would do something in the rain. If it snowed, it was even better. Because then, you know, for those brief moments on Long Island when the snow is in my face, I pretended sort of like Walter Mitty that I was in a, you know, Arctic um, snowstorm. I would go up to these um, sand cliffs, which we have on the North Shore of, of Long Island, and I would pretend I was on the side of Mount Everest. So, you know, I, I, I would also, you know, start fires and cook hot dogs or whatever it was at a really young age. So uh, everything seemed possible. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me, how did, how did the, uh, you get into the Explorers Club at such a young age? How were, how, how did you get on their radar and how did you start hanging out with that group? So when I, um, first moved to New York city after, uh, graduating college, um, I, I was really big on going to lectures. I really like hearing, uh, the best and the brightest talk about any subject, whether it be the arts, uh, music, and so I remember going to a lecture in the mid 1980s on the black bears of northern New Jersey, pretty random topic. And I walked in there and, and again, uh, I, I, I instantly thought these are my people. These are the people I want to be around. And so I'd go to a lot of lectures and then um, a uh, you know, later friend of mine, uh, there was a guy named Jim Fowler who you might recall from Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom, who was a pretty famous guy at that point, said, would you be interested in joining the club? And I, I was just, I was ready to start crying. And uh, I just couldn't even believe it that I was going to be a part of this club. And uh, I remember the first dinner I went to, there was this guy, uh, uh, Tor Heyerdahl from Contiki. Um, I, I saw uh, some of the guys from the first Everest expedition, uh, I saw astronauts, and and for me, growing up, those were my heroes. I had sports heroes, but man, the explorer heroes were sort of you know my thing. Very cool, very cool. Well, um, you also you so you've been the president of the Explorers Club uh, since is it 2012? Well, I, I was president twice from 2002 to 2006. And then again, uh, from 2018 to now. Okay. And when you were in 2002, I'm sorry, not 2012, 2002, you were uh, the youngest, youngest uh, president at that time. Yeah, that was quite, I, again, I, I was lucky to have the right person in my life. So, um, you know, a few years before that, uh, there is an ex-nuclear sub-captain named uh, Captain uh, Fred McLaren, who kind of took me under his wing and he was a guy who used to spend uh, his career spying on the, on the Soviets off the Siberian ice shelves. And he was sort of the inspiration for Red October. And I used to love hearing his sort of spy and, you know, war type um, stories. And then at one point, he asked me if I'd be interested on the being on the board of directors of the Explorers Club. Um, and again, during this time, I kept my resume of exploration kept, you know, rising because I was going on some really cool expeditions. And then in um, 2001, uh, I was living in London. Uh, I was hosting a science show and, and that ended and I was coming back. And he asked me if I'd be interested in running for president of the Explorers Club, which I, I can honestly tell you never entered my um, thought because when I joined the people who are on the board of directors or even the president, this was like Mount Olympus. These people seemed so untouchable. People that uh, like Admiral Peary, the first guy to the North Pole, and uh, you had guys like Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, these are just legends of exploration. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll run. And I, I remember the day doing something even better when they see you on a, a center spread of, of that newspaper. And so um, I put a lot of energy into it. I took it as a full-time volunteer position. And um, 
we were coming up to our centennial, which was in uh, 2004. And I remember standing on the stage with uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, Buzz Aldrin, um, who else? Don Walsh, who was the first person to the Marianas Trench. And, you know, I was sitting there at a dais with these people. And, and you know, quite frankly, they're taking you serious at that point. And, um, you know, it, it just taught me a lot of life lessons, you know, some good and some bad. Uh, you know, the, the one aspect that people don't expect about the Explorers Club, it's not a gentleman's club. These are alpha individuals who play tough. They play tough and they're passionate. People are passionate about their opinions, whether they're uh, against what you're doing or for what you're doing. And so you learn to have um, a thick skin. I learned a lot about teamwork. And, um, you know, it, it was a great experience. It really was a great experience that go around. And then, um, you know, unexpectedly in 2018, so a group of people asked me if I considered doing it again. And uh, I thought, sure, I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I recalled some things I did and I thought I could do some things better. And I was really keen on raising money for uh, grants. And uh, I'm happy to say that just this past year, I have over a million dollars uh, committed to uh, exploration grants, which was one of my goals. And uh, the other big goal I had was to increase the club's uh, diversity and inclusion. And next week, I'm going to be announcing something called the Explorers Club 50, which we, we always say that it's 50 people who uh, are changing the world that the world needs to know about. They're the lesser known explorers doing some great things. And that was inspired um, by a, a, a communication that I started with this woman called Amanda Gorman, who just read uh, the poetry that did the poetry at Joe Biden's inauguration. She had written a piece called Earthrise while she was an undergrad at, at Harvard. I thought it was the, one of the most seminal moving um, uh, reasons why we should save this earth. And so I thought she should be a member of this club. And then I thought, well, the, the fabric of exploration is a lot greater than someone who looks like you and me. There's a lot of people out there and communicating their vision of the world in different ways. Very cool. Um, well, well, how, how would you, how many people are, would you roughly say are in the Explorers Club? About 3,500. And wow. these are 35 highly accomplished people. You have, um, in fact, I just got an email before we um, came on from Victor Vescovo, who is now um, going to be the first person to dive the deepest point in all the oceans. Wow. Uh, got another email. I was uh, in contact with Don Walsh, who was the first person in the Marianas Trench. Um, you know, and so this is, um, it, it's just so weird because you feel like in some respects bragging, mm -hmm. but this is just who these members are. They're just yeah. incredible people. Is it an invitation only type thing? How does it, how does one, how does that work? Well, first of all, you have to be qualified and being qualified means that you have to be more than uh, an eco-tourist. It has to be someone who has contributed to the knowledge of the earth or space in, in some meaningful way. Mm -hmm. So for example, someone who climbs Mount Everest while a cool feat wouldn't necessarily qualify you to be a member, but maybe somebody who studies butterflies in Central Park would be uh, a member. 
And so um, even though most people are recommended, uh, often you'll have somebody who will come to you and say, I'd like to be a member. And you look at their qualifi qualifications and you find a couple people who will sponsor them. So, um, you know, our goal, our mission, our stated mission is to promote exploration by all possible means. And so we want as many people in our ranks who push the agenda of science and field exploration, whether they be divers or mountain climbers or biologists. Very cool. Very cool. Now, did uh, moving on to talk to talk about your show, did that did that have anything to do with Explorers Club? Did that kind of segue one way or the other or give you the idea to, to start the show? Well, yeah. So I have a, a television show that's been on for the last 10 years called Born to Explore. And the idea behind Born to Explore, I wrote a book called Born to Explore. And the idea came is I was chaperoning a, a group of high school kids to Antarctica. And um, we came across a pod of about 40 or 50 whales. And the whale biologist was almost crying because he had never seen such a, a large pod of whales. This is back in like 2002 or three. And there were some kids who didn't even get off their video games to come out and watch it. They were more enthralled with what they were seeing. And I thought there's something really wrong with this. And so I wrote a book to try to encourage uh, kids to get out. And then the idea behind uh, Born to Explore was to uh, foster better cultural understanding of peoples around the world and also to um, show reasons why we should be good stewards of the land or seas. And so it's, uh, it's been an incredible run. We've gotten 14 daytime Emmy nominations. We've won two of them. We won uh, Telly Awards. In fact, as you know, we won a, tele, a couple Telly Awards with a, a Aggressor on some shows we did based on your destinations. Right. And so I, I think you guys probably found that kind of uh, something different out of your normal day. Yeah, we, we, uh, we have a trophy case for those in the, uh, for you. <laughs> That's great. I, I have enjoyed the um, relationship because, you know, underwater is really where I got started um, in exploration because of where I grew up. And um, I, I was lucky to um, meet Wayne Brown, who heads your company, and hear about his story, and then realize uh, how instrumental he was in the underwater world. And I, I've actually asked Wayne advice on running the Explorers Club because I saw certain aspects of how he was running aggressor that I would like to translate over to the Explorers Club. I was always um, very impressed by the customer service at Aggressor Adventures. And I'm not kidding because every time I've met somebody who's gone on a trip, they always brag on how many uh, dive boats or trips they've gone on. And so uh, I don't want to say it's a cult, but you definitely have a loyal following. And so um, I asked Wayne Brown, I said, Wayne, how is it that you are so universally loved by all your customers. And I know no one has a hundred percent, but he said it was just really plain old communicating with who my divers are. And, and I know that so many of them feel a close kinship or friendship to Wayne. And, you know, let's face it. Wayne also loves diving. I, I've seen pictures of him with his grandson and it's just a smile from ear to ear. So He's running a business, but I, I know that he really loves the idea of introducing people to 
uh, great adventures underwater. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's actually how we, you know, we kind of got in touch with you. We, we, I wanted to talk about your two episodes that you, you did for, um, for Born to Explore, where you went to Sri Lanka on our safari lodge at the Aggressor Safari Lodges, and also your time aboard the Cayman Aggressor 5. Can you tell us a little bit about those trips? Yeah, so um, Sri Lanka, for people who don't know, is this uh, island. It looks like a teardrop off the coast of India, and it's super exotic. Uh, think of the Booker movie, uh, The Jungle Book, and that's uh, Sri Lanka. It's famous for its teas, um, really great food and culture. It's uh, a Buddhist um, uh, culture as well. And so we did um, mostly land safaris on there, which was different for me because you th see things like Asian elephants. Uh, and, I, and I remember when we did on our first elephant um, trip, I think I saw like 50 or 60 wild elephants in one spot. And I've been to Africa dozens of times and I've never seen that many elephants, albeit different in, in one area. And so uh, the cultural aspect of Sri Lanka for people who've done other types of safaris or want to go to a place that's just really authentically different. Um, I thought Sri Lanka was great. And the episodes, I think, reflected that. The other one was on the uh, Cayman Aggressor and I had heard about wall diving and I'd never been on a really true wall dive. And uh, so the uh, Cayman Aggressor for people who don't know about it is aboard something called a liveaboard, which means that you spend your entire time on a, on a vessel and you just literally walk out of your cabin, put your tank on and go diving. And so I had heard astronauts, in fact, all the Apollo astronauts had trained underwater for weightlessness. And so I'd heard about the experience of a wall dive. And so for people who've never been on one, pretend you're walking into space and all you see is blue, different gradations of blue. And it just keeps going to a darker and darker and darker. And when you get to the edge of that uh, wall, which is kind of like a cliff, you have this <gasps> sudden feeling that, you know, you're going to fall off something or that, you know, maybe if you have some strange thoughts, if you were to sink, you'd sink down to thousands of, you know, of feet, obviously perishing along the way. But that was a new experience for me. And I loved it because it reminded me of why I love diving as a, a teen. Uh, and, you know, on that trip, you know, you got to do about uh, five dives a day, which is a lot of diving. And you went on wreck dives, you saw turtles, you saw fish, you know, you ate great food, had nice sunsets, and there were interesting people on board. So uh, it was definitely not roughing it, but it was um, a great adventure. So um, I thank you guys for sort of reintroducing me to my love of diving. Well, yeah, we love the, the show. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, we actually rented out a, uh, a theater room over here in Augusta and Richard and his team came down and uh, we, we, we had every, we, it was kind of like a, almost like a red carpet event. We, had a photographer there and I loved it. I'm used to abusive situations. And so to actually have people fawning over me or telling me they liked their work, I wasn't used to the compliments. And I thought maybe this is just Southern charm. Maybe a little both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell us, tell us, uh, you have anything, what's it been like with, uh, this, this year of 2020, uh, and, and have you guys been planning anything new for the show? 
And uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, uh, it's a fluid situation. We're waiting to see where things are going. Um, one of the things I've sort of discovered about um, being in the you know COVID world that we are is that things aren't normal. And if you try to pretend things are normal, you'll always be frustrated. So I've taken this opportunity to walk a lot. I do a lot of conversations with uh, an earpiece and, and, and walking. So I'm averaging about 16,000 steps a day. Um, I have kids and you know it's frustrating for kids. And so we've uh, come to really appreciate having a fire pit in our yard. And I'm in Connecticut, so it gets colder. But I remember last March when it all started really for us, we would have these fires and the kids would come out and they'd sit just for a little while, but they'd be running out on the lawn, even though it was cold. And I, I thought this was a really wonderful way to start another tradition in our family, that tradition of fires. And fires to me always are very emblematic of storytelling. Yeah. And so while, you know, the tragedies of COVID haven't hit me directly, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, obviously well aware just being an hour and a half out of New York City, but it's allowed me to rethink how I'd like to lead my life. Um, I certainly will appreciate traveling again. I really miss hugging people or personal contact, but uh, you know, you just do your best as a family and I'm lucky I have a great wife and I have three healthy kids. And, you know, I, I, I feel quite confident we're going to get through this. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up your family. Uh, are you, so tell me a little bit, since you were uh, into exploring a good bit with your family, uh, how, how are your kids taking to some of the adventures that you guys um, have got to do before? So my, my wife is originally from South Africa and she's in the safari business. So you have two travelers and, and we have uh, been fortunate enough to include uh, our kids on some of our adventures. I remember last, um, I guess the summer before this, we took, I was speaking in Portugal. We took the kids there to go to surfing camp and we had this guy, um, uh, Manuel uh, uh, Va, uh, who is, uh, has a world record of um, surfing the biggest wave ever, 120 feet, 10 feet, I don't know, in Portugal. Wow. And he was giving us surf lessons for a week on like three foot waves. Um, <laughs> we've taken our kids on safari, which has been terrific. Uh, we've gone to France where we went from the coast through castles and all that other stuff. And then, you know, here locally, we go to the beach and we do something, um, you know, on, on, out on the mudflats. Uh, I love low tide. We call it tide pooling. And I find low tide, this magical um, experience to where there really are no rules other than respect of any kind of life. Kids want to build a sandcastle. They do that. Someone wants to throw a football. Someone wants to just run and skip, they do it. And so we, we're trying to um, at least nourish their, their minds with different activities. We go on, um, you know, relatively short hikes with them because there's, there's always somebody who's going to have a meltdown. And, we, you know, we try to have as many adventures, whether it's uh, close to home or, or far away. So yeah. our kids are, are good to go on, on adventures. That's good. That's good. Well, I think that about wraps us up. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before? I know you said you, you've got to pick one of those kids up for, from school, I'm imagining. I, I do. And so um, while I, I, I sometimes uh, people imagine I live the life of this uh, great adventurer, 
you know, I'm a family man too. And so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll pick my kids up from school, you know, ask everybody wants what they want to eat because that, that always seems to be a big issue in our house. You know, I feel like a short order cook, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I feel a lot of gratitude that I've been, uh, given an opportunity to make a difference at the Explorers Club. You know, I love what I'm doing for the television show. And uh, I enjoy meeting people like yourself and Wayne Brown. It's, 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 those are some of the things that sort of float my boat and keep me going. Well, it's very cool. It's very awesome to have you on, Richard. We love hearing your stories as always. And uh, tell the family and Mercedes and the team, everybody, we said hello. Yeah, thanks, Cole. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Yeah, me too. All right, well, take care, Richard. We'll see you guys next time for another episode of Inspired by Adventure Podcast. Take care. Thanks for tuning into the Inspired by Adventure podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.